You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, we get to come to God's Word this morning and invite you to turn in your scriptures once again to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 16 and the last three verses of this book. Now, those of you, and glad to see all the visitors from around, near, and far. Um, You all that are here every Sunday, remember your assignment for next week. I'm reminding you of this. Your assignment is to look back through your notes of Romans, think on one passage or one verse or one place that has really spoken to you or really helped or you're applying or something is different. It's helped you think through things and be willing to share that next Sunday. So, yes, find it out, think on it, and then be willing to share. So that's your assignment. I'll probably email you this week. Don't throw that email away. Take heed and uh, count it as a good assignment. But exegetically, as we work through verse by verse, we are in these last three verses of the Book of Romans here on Christmas Eve day. So let's listen now to uh, God's Word. Oh, I almost forgot, Micah, I had one picture in here. This just gets us caught up. You see that okay? Yeah. Here was last week. We were on the three verses of last week, the greetings of Sosipater, Jason, Lucius, all these guys. Micah drew this, perhaps. I don't know if Paul and Jason, if they had a Christmas tree around while he was writing, but maybe, Micah, and uh, all this. I think those are all scrolls here. These are all, you know, writings of Paul. There's Jason saying, have a Merry Christmas. We talked about them greeting the the fellow believers in Rome, and the importance of that embrace, the greeting that that is. So Micah caught that. So thank you, Micah, for that picture. All right. Well, let's come to God's Word. Verse 25 through 27. Let's listen for what he has to say as he says, Paul closes out the book of Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's just pray here. Go before the Lord. Father, we just pause in the midst of our morning, in the midst of our day. Maybe for many here, this is the first time we've just sat down to be still for a while now. And Lord, what better way to fill our hearts than your word, these three verses of Romans. Would you fill us today? Would your spirit speak through these verses, through this text, into our hearts that we too would conclude, all is well. You reign. The Savior reigns. And so too you be glory forever. So God, our study here, the ins and outs, the sentences, the words that are before us for your glory, for the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray for your help by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The ESV, if you're reading from the ESV, it actually titles this, you know, these weren't in the original Greek, but it titles this little section, Doxology. 
doxology. If you look up what doxology means, it's a hymn in praise of the Almighty. It's a particular form of giving glory to God. And I think that's a fitting term that after this entire book here, in light of what Paul has emphasized and taught through these 16 chapters, it ends with this doxology, this praise, an exclamation of God's glory through Christ. It's kind of the the end note of this book. But before we get into this text, I want to deal with maybe one nagging observation you might have if you're following along quite closely. What about verse 24? If you're in an ESV or you're reading from the NIV, maybe there's other versions here, you don't have a verse 24, actually, and you're puzzled. Why is verse 24 not here? If you've got the NASB and you're reading from that, you've got it in some brackets there. If you're reading the King James, you've actually got it twice. You've got it once in verse 20, which all have in 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And you have it again here as verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So what's going on with verse 24? I'm going to be brief here. Um, again, like I said, it's, it's an, a duplication here of verse 20, the last part of verse 20, King James translating both. The issue deals with the manuscripts that are used to translate. We're going back to the original from the Greek, from the Greek writings to, into English. And you've got, if you're reading an NASB, there's a note that says early MSS, early manuscripts, all these manuscripts don't have or don't contain verse, this verse 24 that you've got. So imagine, to put that kind of in our terms, imagine 20, I don't know how many, imagine 20 copies. We don't have the original originals, but imagine these early copies of, of the Greek laid out before you. If you've got 20 of them, you've got 10 that say they've got verse 24 and 10 that say you don't have verse 24. And so translators and scholars work to go, well, which, which manuscripts do you go with? It's kind of a judgment call. Normally, there's strong weight. There's some really strong, reliable manuscripts. You say, these have it. This is the, this is the way to go. This one has a, mi- a mixture of both, reliable here, reliable there. So translators are mixed, which is why you've got brackets. You've got little footnotes. If you can read that tiny writing, you've got it in there or you don't have it in there. It's this area called textual uh, criticism where it looks at these types of things. There's even some, now just to take it a little further, there's even some question on verses 25 through 27 and, and where they should be. It's not an issue here of if they should be in, but where. Some would place even our text after chapter 14, some after chapter 15. Most translators put them where we've, you've probably got them in your translation at the end here. Of Romans. And, and I, I bring all this up, I'm not wanting to place doubts in you of your Bible at all, but to understand, to help you. So when you come to these little footnotes or somebody says, well, yeah, what about this little footnote? Or what about verse 24? It's not even in there. You can go, well, we, yeah, I've heard about that. It's, it's okay. Uh, there's different manuscripts, that idea. And maybe you understand. Again, no major doctrine here is affected by this. Simply a, a choice. But it's good to know. And this this textual criticism, it's not a, not a way to throw out the Bible. It's a way to say, how can we get back the closest we can, possibly, to the original writings, to what Paul, in the scrolls, what he originally wrote? And that's the desire of that. You can look in. There's a big subject. You can look more into that. 
But just take heart in all this. God's faithful to preserve his word. We, we did look at this at the ending of Mark as well. We, we looked through that. Maybe we have that recorded somewhere back in time. But God's faithful. He's faithful to preserve his word. And we have so many manuscripts to choose from and to look at and to study. So just want to bring that up. Kind of more of a technical side, but as you come along, it's like, like us to not hide things here and see why is it go from 23 to 25 all of a sudden. But now, let's head into our text and let's just look at these verses here. Starting with verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. And I'm just going to pause there for a second. One, to get a drink of water. And two, I want you to catch a breath in, in this short little phrase this morning. What a great time to read this phrase. It's good for pastors to read. It's good for all of us to read. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Are you weary this morning or feeling weak Christmas seems like it should be joyful. It's stressing you out. Maybe you're anxious about the day or the family gathering you've got to get to. You're anxious about your gifts and Amazon has yet to deliver them. Whatever it is, these things, or you're just feeling this maybe deeper than Amazon, weary and weak. And here's encouragement to one weary and weak. Take heart in just this opening line of verse 25. There's actually two truths in this phrase, I mean, it, it might be one thing for someone to say, I can strengthen you, I can help you out, but this is God. The, the, the one saying that may or may not have the strength to, do, to help you out, God says he's able. God is able to him who is able to strengthen you. This is not hard for God. He's able, and what does he do? He strengthens. One place says he, to cause to be inwardly firm or committed, to confirm establish. So you've got this idea of God who is able to strengthen you. And what this also implies is that we need this. We need God's strengthening. The truth is we're weak, we're fickle, we're partial, we forget easily, we think more highly than ourselves. In the context above, what we have looked at in the past few weeks, verses 17 through through 20 even in that context, we're susceptible to smooth talk and flattery. We're foolish at times instead of being wise to what is good. And then other times we're guilty of evil rather than being innocent. We don't watch out as we should, verse 17. Or verse 20, we lack a true hope that carries us through the day. But God is able. And, and it says now God is able. And He's able to strengthen us, to strengthen you. What's interesting here is where this strength comes from, though. It's not just kind of a strength out of nowhere, kind of just this pixie dust comes down and suddenly I'm strengthened in the Lord. Paul takes us to where this strength is, could we say, tethered or tied to, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look at verse 25 again. I'll read the whole thing into 26. There's a lot going on here, uh, but let's look at this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, 
to bring about the obedience of faith. Again, there's a lot going on. We'll try to look at the parts. Here's Paul. Almost feels like a, another a run-on sentence. Try to kind of hard to track. Okay, where is he going now? Where is all this going? But let me just say first, we're not surprised that once again God's means of strength it's directly tied to this gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I think these things are one and the same. The gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ. John Murray notes here, he says, the, the preaching of Jesus Christ is virtually the gospel of which Jesus Christ is the subject. It's a gospel Paul has explained in this letter. A gospel that says, despite our utter sinfulness, we are sinful through and through, despite that God has in His grace justified us by faith. So there is therefore now, remember chapter 8, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's given us His Spirit, and by that Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. Later on in chapter 8, it says, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So to be strong in some other way, even of ourselves, it is not God's way of being strong. And this tells us how vital the gospel is to, to things you may not think. We're going to be doing a marriage seminar here in February, that when sinners say I do. It's all about the gospel in marriage. The gospel is vital for marriage, or vital for singleness, or for your work, or for parenting, or for conflict, and on and on. I was graciously reminded this morning even of Psalm 73, verse 26. It says it this way. And think about that, where we're at, gospel. Psalm 73, verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God's strengthening of our souls comes through the gospel that reconciles us to Him through Christ Jesus. It's Christ through and through, over and over. Now, from here, Paul seems to go deeper and deeper. From kind of one thought to the next, I want us to try to trace the gospel line through what he writes here. So first, there's a gospel here that's been hidden, but it's now disclosed. There's a hiddenness, a secretness, and now it's disclosed. And in verse 25, Paul speaks about this revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, that, verse 26, has now been disclosed. I think in terms of this mystery, I think we're on good, solid ground to see this mystery as Christ Himself. Think of the Gospel, maybe, in summary, but Christ. Elsewhere, Paul, Ephesians chapter 3, speaks of the mystery of Christ. Or Colossians 1, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Even here, on this eve of Christmas, Think about the first light of this revelation of the mystery of Christ coming in the incarnation to the manger. Here's Jesus, God Himself, the Word becoming flesh. And thus here's Emmanuel, which means God with us. This first part. So our, our very Christmas celebration is its part, really it seems like the, the watershed of this, just this unfolding of a mystery kept secret for long ages. But now disclosed, I think, beginning in the physical coming of Christ and then through the revelation to the apostles, to the prophets, and what they would write by the Spirit and what we have written down. But it is not a mystery disconnected from all of what it is 
what is in the Old Testament. It's there as well. Uh, you've got the phrase there, the next phrase that we can look at. Through and through the prophetic writings has been made known. And most all commentaries see these prophetic writings referring to the Old Testament. It took me a little bit. I was first looking at these, oh, is this, this is New Testament language. There's a place in, I believe it's Ephesians, talks about the built on the apostles and prophets. Sounds like New Testament. I think there's that, there, there can be maybe that sense here, but would you head with me to Romans chapter 1? So why not go to the same book where Paul is writing, and in fact the first six verses, since we're in the last three verses, and see what Paul says. And I think it becomes pretty clear here what he has in mind by these prophetic writings. So Romans, so chapter 1, look at just verses 1 through 6. Maybe you'll hear other themes here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. There it is. Concerning what? His son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, there's Christmas, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The promise was there in the old. And now Christ has come. Paul set apart to preach the revelation of this gospel. A phrase I think I've used before. It's not mine, but I've heard it. I think it's helpful. It talks about the new is in the old. So the New Testament is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. That's a helpful way to look at it. The New Testament, what we're seeing about Christ, it's not, not in there. It's in the Old Testament. It's concealed. It's more hazy revealed as you come to the New Testament. So back in verse 26, back in our chapter 16, the gospel is disclosed and through the prophetic writings, I think the Old Testament here, it's being made known by the apostles and prophets and then going out to all nations. And here I think we have this connection more clearly of this mystery of Christ that includes Gentiles. And again, in Romans, we're not unfamiliar to this. Places like chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. By chapter 3, we find Jew and Greek both all under sin. Later on, verse 29, God is the God of both Jew and Gentile and in chapter 4, all who are of the faith of Abraham are his offspring and thus the people of God. Remember Romans chapter 10, 10 4, good buddy, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then just a few verses later in verse 12, Paul says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. This gospel, once kept secret, it's being made known to the nations, to all nations. 
And further, it's a gospel you've got, at least in the ESV, according to the command of the eternal God. It's going out according to the command of this eternal God. A couple commentaries here. What's, how do we fit in command of eternal God? All nations, what's going on? Doug Moo says this. says this line stresses that it was God's own determination to make known the mystery at the time he did. This kind of this command. It shall be known now, maybe is the idea. Leon Morris comments, an eternal God works out an eternal purpose. The apostles did not stumble upon the gospel. Kind of like finding something hidden and it wasn't supposed to be found. God revealed it to them. Think of Pentecost and the Spirit coming, Jesus coming. And in this wise and this eternal counsel of God, He makes this mystery known. And what a gracious command it is for we find peace and joy in this plan of God, in this gospel. It's also a gospel that is for the obedience of faith. At least that's the last line phrase of of the ESV. The last line of verse 26 presents the purpose of revealing this mystery. Kept secret, now disclosed, now made known, to bring about the obedience of faith. And here we're back to this subtitle that we've looked through all the whole book of Romans, the obedience of faith. And what is that again? It's not, let's make sure we know, it's not an obedience that earns faith, an obedience that merits our salvation. It's faith That's number one, it's obedient to bow before Jesus in repentance of sin and faith unto salvation. It's obedience that simply bows at the feet of Jesus. And then number two, it's an obedient faith that shows itself in good works. That faith works out. The fruits of it are good works. Martin Luther has said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Paul, over and over, would say we are saved by grace through faith. And yet that faith, that saves, it is not alone. There are good works that follow. And so Paul's way of speaking of the gospel, coming to all the nations, it's in terms of this obedience of faith. And just maybe this is where my mind traveled in thinking. We've got words like command of God, obedience of faith. I just want to make one side note of application when it comes to here in terms of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. I think the the commentators, they're right to see this this God's command here. It's more thinking of God's command, His will to reveal this gospel. Also just maybe in the side thought, thinking of God's command in terms of this obedience of faith. Is, Is In this way, is the gospel simply just kind of a good choice? Just consider... At Christmas, you might think about the gospel. It's just a good, you know, there's lots of options. Don't want to, you know, maybe it's Minnesota. <laughs> Don't want to push you too hard, but just think about that idea. Or is there something more to this? I would say the gospel itself is a command. Think about this way. There's a command here. To what? To repent. To turn. And God's grace offers His Son as the one to turn to. Paul says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, God's going to inflict vengeance on who? Those who do not know God, God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. 
There's vengeance in return for rejecting this gospel. Or Acts chapter 17, Paul's speaking to the men of Athens. He says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He's fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by, in case we're wondering who that man is, by raising Him from the dead. Psalm 2 says, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. Non-belief, discarding the Gospel, that's not neutral living, but one remains an enemy of God forsaking this command to repent. It's a gracious command. And here's repent. I don't want... It's gracious to say turn to Christ from your sin. Repent and believe. And so the Gospel, it's not a mere option. It's a command to be obeyed. Okay, well we come to our last verse here having kind of worked through this Gospel It's revelation. It's made known. We see it through the Old Testament by the gracious command of God. All the nations for the obedience of faith. And now Paul here kind of comes back to finish where he started. You know, this is where he left off in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, maybe it was according to my gospel or just able to strengthen you, and it seems to go on to verse 27 to the only wise God. All the stuff in the middle, Paul just started going on trails. That's part of this, revelation, secret, revealed, prophetic writings, and now he's back to say to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Paul addresses God as the only wise God. We looked at God's wisdom back in chapter 11, two verses from there. One we saw, Psalm 104, where God has created, every, all of creation is by God's wisdom. And then in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel prays and he says this. Listen to this in light of Paul's phrase, to the only wise God. Daniel says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He's wise and he's mighty. Mighty to strengthen. He goes on. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. He is God alone wise. And in His wisdom, He removes and sets up. He hides and reveals, makes known in His perfect timing, His perfect will. But Paul ties this only wise God to what here? To glory through Jesus Christ. I want you to take, take you to one more place. Just the next book over. If you go to the right, head to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As a way to understand this last, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 17. It's a bit longer of a reading. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter here. It's not that long. But Paul ends Romans with this, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 17 here through the end in light of this. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called. Here it is, all nations, both Jews and Greeks, Christ. Is there strength here? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And now here, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, because of this God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Power and strength does not come from earthly rulers who will most certainly fail us. Power and strength does not come from within ourselves or just muster up enough power. We trust in the name of the Lord our God, this only wise God. And He alone, through Christ, is our strength. He's our salvation. And because of Him, we are in Christ. So back in verse 27, Paul ends Romans in praise to God alone. To Him be all the glory forever through Christ. Glory itself is tethered to Jesus Christ. And we encourage us, so should also be our lives. Tethered to this Christ for the glory of God. Tethered to the manger in Bethlehem. Tethered to the one who rules over demons. He rules over sickness. He rules over storms. Tethered to the one whose work on the cross. This cross purchased our redemption. Reconciling us to God. Giving us eternity forever in Him. As we celebrate Christmas, it is to strengthen us, not weaken us. If we think of it in this way, in this story, here is the gospel being revealed. In fact, grace is being revealed as Christ is made known to the nations for their obedience of faith. I just want to ask you in your life, is Paul's last line, is that your last line? Is that your life? A light that says, the only wise God, glory to you forever through Christ. It's for your glory. If not, make it so today. Render your praise, your glory, your adoration to the only one 
Not us. The only one who's able to strengthen you according to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a taste in this holiday and in this time. A taste of glory. Glory sent from above to earth. Glory that redeems. Glory that purchases. Glory that calls us to You that we might forever live in perfect joy with You. Glory that reconciles sinners to You through the cross of Christ. The cross that this little baby came to be hung on as a curse in our place. Father, would you just help us this season, this particular day even, and days as we're with family, as we're traveling, as we're sitting at moments in our houses, wherever it is, that we would treasure you, that we would forsake strengthening that we think we can get ourselves and do ourselves. And we would run to the only one who's able to strengthen us through the gospel. You're so worthy of our praise. You're so able to strengthen. And it is your gospel through your word and through the people around us, even, even here t- today, that give us this strength. And so I pray, Lord, our lives would be for your glory alone, not to us, but to you, O Lord. Be that glory, we pray in Jesus' name. been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.